Well, awesome. Well, I want to extend my welcome to you as well, and especially to all our onlineers that are watching. We love having you as part of our, our church as well. Can I say, Zach Walter, you have shot to the ladder, the top of the ladder for the most eligible bachelor in Bridgman after hearing about that integrity. I tell you, we'll put his phone number up on the screen right now. And no, we won't. We don't do that. Um, uh, we're in a series, uh, Your Kingdom Come, and we're into the third week. And so I pray that yeah, you get involved in connect groups. If you're not in any connect groups at the moment, uh, we'd love to help you get in. And it's just a great way to build community and to uh, sharpen each other around uh, the Word of God as well. I remember when I was uh, very young, I had the privilege of meeting a, a, an amazing guy called Jim Irwin. Now, if you want an illustration of a person who has achieved uh, something of high status, it, it's this man. And I have a photo of him for you. That's it, Jim Irwin. He is an astronaut, and in 1971, he got selected uh, to be on the Apollo 15 uh, mission. And it was the fourth lunar mission, I think there's another photo that will show him, the fourth lunar mission uh, to the moon and made him the eighth man to walk on the moon. A pretty incredible feat. Um, I thought I'd show you a little family photo of us meeting him because I, I don't know if you can tell which one's me there, the one giving the peace signs. And can you see where your senior pastor is? He's the one in the blue collar looking like a senior pastor off to the left there. He was anointed from a young age. <laughs> but it was a privilege to meet this man. And, uh, and I remember hearing one of these quotes. Well, I don't remember from then, but uh, a quote that later on I heard. It, it describes his experience of going to the moon. And it says this. He said, as we got further and further away, it, the earth, diminished in size and it finally shrunk to the size of a marble. The most beautiful you can imagine. Could you imagine having that opportunity to witness the earth in which we walk on uh, from that perspective, from that angle? And he goes on to say that beautiful, warm, living object looks so fragile, so delicate that if you touched it with your finger, it would crumble and fall apart. A really interesting uh, insight. But at the end of this, he actually says this really interesting sentence that I thought was uh, very intriguing. He says, but seeing this has to change a man. In other words, not even the greatest achievement of him walking on the moon uh, was enough. It, it was actually in this mission that Jim Irwin uh, actually had a faith encounter that changed his life. He'd had a, growing up, he'd had a, a childhood faith, but uh, this mission was the shift that moved everything from head knowledge to the heart. Everything that he'd pushed aside with, with God, this changed everything for him. And he, he writes in his book, um, the, uh, More Than Earthlings, An Astronaut's Thoughts for Christian-Centred Living. This is what he says. He says, God walking on the earth is more important than man walking on the moon. God walking on the earth is more important than man walking on the moon. 
I, I reckon that's an incredible statement. In other words, what he's trying to get at, he's, he's, he's highlighting the importance of why Jesus came to earth with that knowledge of understanding that we were separated from God because we chose to walk away from God and do things our own way. And then God in His great love didn't want separation from His children. So God or Jesus, God in human form, comes ultimately to die on the cross for you and me to rise three days later so that all humanity could come back into relationship with God. There's no way that we personally could have saved ourselves. It could only happen through Jesus, which meant that our sin, the punishment of our sin is removed. We're called new creations, children of God, loved and highly cherished. And this is what he's getting at. He's like, walking on the moon is so insignificant in comparison to what Jesus did when He walked on the earth. Almost like everything else, our achievements shrink down to the size of a marble in comparison to it. If you know any more about Jim Irwin's life, he, he, after this mission, he dedicates the remaining years of his life to going around in telling people, sharing his experience on the moon, but then telling people about a relationship with Jesus is so much more significant. His life is so changed that it changes the trajectory of his life. And tonight I want us to be reminded that God has called us, you and me, to be a part of a bigger story than the earthly perspectives that we may be currently holding on to. What earthly perspectives are you holding on to? See, the purpose of our life that God has given us is so much bigger than the career you may have. It's so much bigger than an education. It's actually bigger than that university placement that you're currently stressing about. It's bigger than your search for a life partner or your ambitions or your dreams and passions or even your current calling. The calling God's placed on your life trumps any of that. It's bigger than any achievement or gain or purpose this world can offer. If you want to know what your calling is in life, because there's been many times in my life that I've sat there thinking, what, what am I here for? What's my purpose? I just don't know what to do. Well, here it is, and then we can head home. Everyone likes the idea of that, don't you? This is it. Your calling above everything else, your God-given calling is to love and bring glory to God and then to tell people about Jesus and make His name known. That's it. That is the greatest call that anyone can have on their life. That God the Creator would call you and me to be in relationship with Him and then invites us into His ultimate rescue plan to draw all of humanity back to Him. Uh, just reflecting on those testimonies. Those testimonies tell of the life-changing work of Jesus in lives. You know, the restoring, renewing work, the, the way that Jesus comes and transforms not just one life, but how it goes through generations. And tonight, he is, the Spirit is reminding us that 
you and me are his hands and feet to tell and show people that God loves them, God has forgiven them, and that God wants to be in relationship with them. He wants you to be a part of that. There's a few verses that you'll often hear me quote, whether it's in a message or if you're talking with me around topics. And these ones are close to my heart because they constantly remind me that there's a bigger picture at play, a bigger story at play than the things that I get distracted by, the things that I look to the left and right about. And the first one is Ephesians 6.12. It says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities in the unseen world. And it goes on. What what it's saying is there is a spiritual battle that's raging for humanity right now. John 10.10 puts it this way. It says, the thief, meaning Satan, comes to steal, kill and destroy. But Jesus has come to give us life and life to the full. And if you're in Jesus tonight, I want you to be reminded what's ours. Why this big picture story that God has called us into is so significant. Colossians 2 says, because you were once dead because of your sins and because of your sinful nature was not yet cut away, but then God made you alive in Christ for He forgave all your sins. And he cancelled the record of the charges against us and he's taken them away by nailing them to the cross. In this way, listen to this, he has then gone and disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities and he shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross. Is that not the most incredible news you could ever hear? Do you believe that? And this is the truth that God is calling us into. If we've received it, He says, the greatest call you can have is to go. He says, you've been called and you've been called and you've been called and Jono, you've been called to go and occupy every street, every workplace, every gym you go to, every university, every school, every hospital, wherever God has placed you because it's not an accident that you are there. God has specifically placed you there. Wherever you go to claim it for Jesus and to bring His light and His truth into these places for God's glory. See, if you're anything like me, uh, my immediate reaction is to go and look at what's in my hands. Like, I hear a call like this and I I look at my skill sets and I'm like, not much, my achievements. Uh, Well, I didn't go to the moon. Uh, I, I look at the person next to me and I think, well, maybe if I was more like that person or maybe I should be more courageous like that person or more charismatic. Maybe you're looking tonight at your spiritual scorecard and you're like me and think, well, it's a bit below average. Maybe it's past failures or your position of influence. Maybe it's your intellect. You know what I mean? I don't even know how to spell the, that word. I do. But 
Maybe it's your fears, maybe it's your anxieties. I don't know what it is for you. But we get to a point where we think, I've got nothing to offer. And then on top of that, you think of where God has placed you, maybe in your family or your school or your university. And you think it is so spiritually dry. It's impossible for things to come to life. But I want you to come with me to Acts 1 tonight. Acts 1 verse 3 and a little bit of background is that Jesus had revealed to his followers that he was the promised king, that he was going to come and bring God's kingdom. Meanwhile, Jesus was beaten, he was crucified, he was laid in a tomb and then three days later he rose again and this is playing out fresh in his followers' minds. And Acts 1.3 says this, During the 40 days after Jesus had suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and proved to them in ways that he was actually alive. I love that. Even in their doubts, Jesus was so, or God was so gracious, or Jesus was so gracious that he kept in many ways just saying, look, I'll show you that I'm alive. And he talked to them about the kingdom of God. And once he was eating with them, he commanded them this. He says, do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gifts he promised, as I told you before. If we go to John 16, we get this account where Jesus is telling his followers, he says, I'm going to, soon I'm going to go to be with my Father in heaven. But it's good that I go. Because if I go, then I will send you a helper, an advocate who won't just do life beside you, but is actually going to indwell in you. And Acts 1 continues, it says, because John baptised with water, but in just a few days you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. And it continues on. So when the, the apostles, apostles were with Jesus, they kept asking, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore your kingdom? In other words, they thought Jesus was going to be this mighty warrior that was going to wipe away the enemies, you know what I mean, and restore Israel. But he's like, no, 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 I've got a, I've got a bigger, a better plan for humanity. He says, verse 8, but you will receive power. You'll receive power. The power word, power there from the Greek word dynamis, which means where we get the English word dynamite. You're not just going to receive power, but you're going to receive a power that isn't from you, but it's dynamic because it comes from God. And when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and then here comes the call. Why do you need the Holy Spirit? He says, because you are going to be my witnesses. He says, in Jerusalem, meaning the household you're in, the street that God has placed you, the classroom that you're in, the sporting group you're in. He goes, that's your Jerusalem. He says, but then I want you to go into Judea. And then I want you to go into Samaria. And I can imagine saying, well, Samaria, I don't think so because we don't, uh, we don't align with them. They're our enemies. He's like... The Holy Spirit is going to send you into Samaria and then to the ends of the earth. And then it says that Jesus was taken up into heaven. Did you hear it? Where is the empowering work for believers going to take from? Is it from you or is it from who? The Holy Spirit. 
God dwelling in His people. Romans 8.11 says this, it says, And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. In other words, the same power that raised Christ from the dead lives in you if you're a follower of Jesus. The empowering work of the follower of Jesus is not found in your abilities. It is not found in your well-formed arguments or your self-confidence that you've built up over time. It's only found when the Holy Spirit moves. I was thinking about this. The most empowered believer or believers is the believer that knows that it is only Christ in me. You know what I mean? Everything else can't do it. I cannot save myself. Christ is the only one that can save me. So if we're going to move out and the sea uh, and the nations change. It can only be through His Spirit. An empowered believer who treasures God's purposes for his or her life abundantly more than his or her own personal gain. That is a believer who will be empowered by the Spirit. I love what verse 4 says, how it said, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift He had promised, the Holy Spirit. Why is that? Because God knew that the work that He was calling us to do, you couldn't do on your own. Because it's the Spirit who gives you His boldness and His courage and gives you His wisdom and gives you His heart and gives you His compassion and His love and strength and His endurance and His peace and pours out His power. And as you pour through the Scriptures, I can promise you this, You'll see it over and over and over again, how the Spirit comes and moves in people's lives when they are the most feeble. I want you to be reminded of the call that you may be feeling like you've got nothing to offer. But God uses us in all our brokenness, in all our diversity, Come with me, continue down to Acts 1.13 because the disciples returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives after witnessing Jesus return to heaven. And they go upstairs to the room where they were staying, the upper room. And Luke tells about a group of people who were present in that room and it tells uh, these are a group of people from all different personalities and all different background stories. And this is what he says. Those present in that room were Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James, not Judas Iscariot. And they all joined together constantly in prayer with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. As I look at the, the, the list of people here, I'm drawn to the diversity of personalities. Think about it. We've got Peter and his brothers who were fishermen. We've got Andrew James and his brothers. We've got Matthew who is a tax collector. Tax collector was pretty much a thief. 
hated amongst the communities. We've got Simon the Zealot, meaning he was fanatical and uncompromising, probably a pretty annoying person. We've got Thomas, who we labelled Doubting Thomas. You know what I mean? Who struggled to get enough evidence to have faith to believe in Jesus. You know what I mean? He just couldn't get it. And then the, the women, who was presumably referring to Mary Magdalene, who Jesus, remember Jesus cast out the seven demons. Joanna, whose husband managed Herod's household. And then Susanna, and we know this because Luke previously mentions them as part of Jesus' ministry. Then we've got Mary, the mother of Jesus, and also Jesus' brothers who previously refused to believe. Like if I was going to send out a group of people to go and conquer the world or to hold this precious truth, uh, I'm probably not going to send them out. But God was about to use them to transform the world. Listen, listen to the, why there was such unity here. It's because they'd come to trust in Jesus. They joined together constantly in prayer, as we read in Acts 14. The Greek construction stresses the persistent nature of their praying together. Maybe something we need to hold on to more in our lives. Prayer and worship together was an essential element in their fellowship. We read that. And they were hungry for the Holy Spirit's empowerment from the promised Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. And can I tell you, when God's Spirit fell, their lives were changed, their lives were empowered and people's lives were changed. Acts 2, the very next passage tells us that the Holy Spirit in fact did fall on the people. You can read it. We get this picture of, of Peter in Acts 2.38 because remember G, um, Peter uh, was talking with Jesus and said, Jesus, even if everyone else walks away, I'm going to stick by your side. And Jesus says, well, I'm telling you, you're going to deny me uh, before the rooster crows three times. You're going to deny me. And sure enough, Jesus gets arrested and, and, and Peter follows and then sees what's taking place in Jesus. And someone says, actually, aren't you a friend of Jesus? And he denies him three times. But as we read in verse 38, listen to the boldness of, of Peter when he's filled with the Spirit. He goes and shares the gospel with those very people that he was afraid of. He says, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And you know what it tells us? It tells us that 3,000 people come to faith. That's not. Because of a man, that's because of the spirit who was breathing through the availability of a man. Listen to the believers, how they were changed. Verse, 44, uh, verse 42, it says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who needed it. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with gladness and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all people. And guess what? The Lord added to their number daily. 
They were going about doing the work of God in the places that God had called them. And as the Spirit filled them and the Spirit moved through them, God was doing a great movement through His Spirit. You know what God wants from us? He's just saying, I just want your availability and a surrendered heart. Because that means the Spirit can come and and fill and do that work. God wants you to be the conduit for the Holy Spirit to pass through. See, God wants to use you and me to take a circumstance which is humanly speaking, it's impossible. And He wants to change that and go, but in God, all things are possible. I was doing some random research the other day, and uh, as I do, um, and I was going through having a look at the size of what is the world's biggest stadiums. I was watching the, the Women's World Cup and, and I was looking at different numbers and M- the Melbourne Cricket Ground, MCG in Victoria, is actually, I think it's rated 15th in the world. Pretty impressive uh, for a little bit of a down-under mob. But as I was reading more of the stats... Uh, do you know who, what event holds the largest capacity of attendees? Do you, is it an AFL grand final? Is it a Taylor Swift concert? It's actually a Billy Graham crusade. Uh, it's estimated to probably 140,000 people. You can even go and, and read some of the stories that I, I think at the end, uh, they open up the gates to the turf, which is only left for the special ones, and they let the people flood in to hear about the gospel of Jesus. Now, is that, is that Billy Graham that people came? No, no, that's the Spirit creating those opportunities. I think you can even walk through the halls and there's a photo of it. See, a movement like that, it was not because of one man, but because there was followers of Jesus in a, in a city. Churches in a city who, who cried out for the Holy Spirit, abandoned their own self-desires and said, God, you come and do it. And God did His work. I was, I was reading um, an article uh, from some researchers at Bond University. And this is what these researchers had to say. They said, over the past four decades, Christianity has grown faster in China than anywhere else in the world. Darrell Island, a Boston University School of Theology research assistant professor of mission, get that one down, he says, estimated that the Christian community there has grown from 1 million to 100 million and then they asked this question, what, what led to this explosion centuries after the first Christian missionaries arrived in China? I, I think I might have an idea. It's because there's a group of missionaries who are filled by the Holy Spirit, following the Spirit's leading and went in Humbly in the spirit moved. Did they have any idea of the impact? No. They're probably thinking, no, this is just a drop in the ocean. But obedient to God's call, 
knowing the power of the Holy Spirit to do the impossible and look at the life that's taken place. The late John Stott, a Christian author, a Bible teacher, wrote this powerful commentary in his book, The Book of Acts. says this, Without the Holy Spirit, Christian discipleship would be inconceivable, even impossible. There can be no life without the life giver. No understanding without the spirit of truth. No fellowship without the unity of the spirit. No Christ-likeness of character apart from his fruit. No effective witness without his power. And he says, as a body without breath is a corpse, so the church without the spirit is dead. But I want to tell you that the spirit is alive and the spirit is well because Jesus rose from the dead. And the Bible tells us that tonight, if you surrendered to Jesus, God dwells within you through his Holy Spirit. I'm going to get the band to come up. I want you to hear me in this. Spiritual success isn't whether God uses you to fill stadiums or be on platforms. It's about being faithful to what he has put in front of you. You know, the call that's in front of you is the holiest calling you can have. I mean, if your call is to wash windows, if you're cutting subs at Subway, That is a God-given call. You may not think it, but you're a carrier of the Holy Spirit in that place. And I don't want you to doubt for a minute that when the Spirit moves, He's changing lives even when you're not thinking about it. I was up in Caloundra, this is a while ago, and we'd just been up there for a couple of days and we're about to leave and I thought I'd quickly rush down and get a coffee as I do to uh, survive parenthood. And uh, the coffee, for some reason, they decided to give me a coffee but then give me a car that said one free coffee and I was like, oh, well, that's cool, but I probably won't be back up here for a while. And so uh, just randomly, I don't normally do this stuff, but God just said, how about we just try to find someone? So I was awkwardly following people around and uh, to awkwardly give this card to without looking like a creep. And then I remember I saw this one person and, and I was there and they, we had their carer as well. And I just thought I'd go up and I said, look, do you drink coffee? And said, yeah, yeah, I do. And I said, well, I was given this free coffee and, you know, I mean, like, do you, do you want it? Because I can't use it. And I'm like, oh, thank you. Thank you so much. And in front of everyone, the carers and everyone, the family was around, this, this, this one looked at me and said, like, you, you have Jesus in you. Like, I'm thinking, I look like Jesus. <laughs> like, you have Jesus, you have Jesus in you. And I remember being blown away about the simplicity of knowing that here I was rubbing shoulders with someone. It wasn't about any fantastic word or anything I did. It was because the Spirit's in me and people see it. It's not me. It's not about how great my spiritual life is. It's just I'm available. And the Spirit's doing that in you and that's what He wants to encourage you about tonight. You're empowered to do His work. 
And I remember saying to her, I was like, well, I hope so. I am a pastor, you know. But look at the life of Jesus, how He went about doing life. He loved people, didn't He? He, he brought love. This is a way for us to be witnesses right now. If you want to see the Holy Spirit move, do these things that Jesus did. He brought joy. He showed peace. He showed patience. He showed goodness. He showed faithfulness. Actually, it sounds like I'm listing the fruits of the Spirit. And so I'm going to get everyone to stand right now. And we're going to sing in a moment. And we're going to sing and we're going to begin to cry out to the Holy Spirit. As we praise our great God, we're inviting Him to come and do ministry in and through our church, into our friends, into our families, into our schools, our, our hospitals. Filling us afresh with courage and to do the things that we cannot do. But as you just close your eyes, just, just briefly. Here's an agenda that you're holding on to. And He's saying, just release that agenda and take on board my calling. Where, where you've just kept looking at your failures and the lack of skill sets, where you stand on His promises. You know what I mean? He says that, okay, don't worry about what you're going to say. At just the right time, I'll fill your mouth with the right words. Maybe it's a business that you're running and, and making decisions and plans and visions, but maybe you haven't invited the God into this and say, God, actually, how is this meant to be your kingdom career, business? Maybe it's the giftings you've got that God's given you and He wants to breathe on and He's calling you to begin to exercise them, begin to fan them into flames. Maybe it's talents and achievements, wisdom. Maybe it's a knowledge is power kind of thought. And God's saying, you know, I've given you them. So then you therefore can go out and change people's lives for my glory. So that's you. And say, God, I want you to touch these areas in my life. Will you just put your hand up just briefly? Just be courageous in that. Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. And this is your first start to say, Jesus, I never knew that you loved me and you came to die on a cross for me and you've come to save me and you want me to be your child and you want to place a calling in my life. If that is you, will you put your hand up too? Put your hand up and say, Jesus, I invite you into this space. I invite you to be king in my life. Let me pray. Jesus, I want to thank you for the empowering of your Holy Spirit. You take people from all different walks of life. You unify us in the name of Jesus. You set us apart. Your Spirit comes, dwells within us. And now you empower us. Lord, your Spirit comes upon us to do only God-sized things for your kingdom. It doesn't, not to bring glory to us, but Lord, to bring glory to you and many to know you, Jesus. And so fill us now. And Lord, as we sing and declare this song, we declare that You're faithful as we cry out to You and say, God, we can't do it, but God, we need You. Will Your Spirit come and do a ministry? And I invite You now through this song. If you want prayer, if you're onlineers as well,
this is for you. We talk to your online hosts and say, count me in. We wanna be praying for you. In Jesus' Name, Amen.
encourage you tonight that one of the one of the exciting things about the Spirit is, regardless of how ordinary you feel, the empowerment of the Spirit is incredible. He's He can enable you and equip you to do uh, extraordinary things, extraordinary things. I want to read this verse to you, and then we're going to pray, and uh, we're going to. Uh, go our separate ways, whatever God has for us this week. But let me read this to you in, in closing. It says this in the last days, in Acts 1, in the last days, God says, I will pour out My Spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. I will pour out My Spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on earth below. And everyone who calls on the Name of the Lord will be saved. Father God, this is our cry. This is our prayer, great God. As we go about whatever You've called us to do, that You might empower us, great God, to see impact, to see lives changed, uh, to be bold in sharing what You've called us to share, Father God that we might see a work of Your Spirit. You know, I love that prayer, Lord. It's not by wise or persuasive words. It's a demonstration of the Spirit's power. And that's what we desire, great God. We desire to see Your work in and through us, great God, impacting wherever we go. So we thank You, Lord. And I really ask God, it empower us this week. Whatever we're doing in our workplaces, streets and suburbs, in our schools, universities, wherever it might be, great God, that firstly, we'd know we're sent there. And secondly, we're nowhere empowered by You, great God. And so use us this week. By the end of this week, I pray there'd be many stories of how You use us to impact the lives around us, great God. We honour You tonight. We worship You tonight. And we just pray all these things in the powerful Name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's give Him a hand. Let's give Him a shout of praise. Great to have you here. Great to have you online as well. And I really do pray that God might use you this week and whatever He's uh, uh, called you to do. God bless you. Feel free to hang around, grab some food um, and we'll see you soon. God bless.